Hello everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Speculate. We are here among the strange friends with a special guest this evening to talk more about the game Girl by Moonlight, coming out soon from Evil Hat. We have a lot of feelings about it and about Fractal Spire, our wonderful playtest actual play of the game, and I'm looking forward to talking about it with all of these lovely people, including the designer themselves, Andrew Gillis, who is here to join us and uh, regale us with wonderful stories about how this thing was made. But before we begin our conversation about the thing, I would like to ask all of these people to please introduce themselves to lovely people watching or listening to this by letting everyone know who you are, what you do, and who you played in our game of Fractal Spire, starting with Mike. Hi, everybody. I'm Mike. I am one of the co-hosts of Speculate, along with Brandon and Gregory A. Wilson. I'm an author and podcaster and professional GM. My latest series is my first series, but again, in paperback, which is about geeky magicians uh, using their fandom as a magic source. That starts with Geekomancy. You can find that wherever. And I play video games sometimes at twitch.tv slash turbotango. Uh, they, he pronouns for me. I played Vic Sains, the guardian who uses they, them pronouns and whose avatar is Deed, who is she, they. That's me. Next, Valerie. Hello, hello. I am Valerie Valdez and the author of the Chilling Effect trilogy and the forthcoming Where Peace is Lost, planetary romance, space fantasy, whatever you want to call it. I also stream on Twitch as the kids are asleep, which is when I stream. And I was playing Nina Lopez, the unlikely hero, she, her pronouns. Her avatar ultimately was Atrevida, also she, her pronouns. Next, Yoi. Hello, hello, Yoiko Wayne Lynn game and fiction writer they he pronouns for me i played vermilion jingwei ruth the outsider in the game they he pronouns for ruth and ruth's avatar has the ruth's avatar was ruthless she they pronouns for her and last but not least yori Kusuno Yori, they, them pronouns, author of the forthcoming Hybrid Heart that will be on sale at the end of March from Neon Hemlock. We are so excited. I played Cat Holly, the time traveler who never henshined on screen. <laughs> Oops. <laughs> and FTC regulations and corporate policy require me to disclose that I am a wizard of the coast. I am not on the D&D team. Um, I am also not on the magic team. I am on the team no one has heard of. And I'm having lots of fun there. We will fix that at some point, but still. As for me, I am Brandon O'Brien. I was the GM of our Girl by Moonlight actual play practice fire. I am one of the co-hosts of Speculate and a writer, uh, poet, and game designer from Trinidad and Tobago. My pronouns are he, him, or they, them. So I, in the game, played all of the parts of the world of Cloud Harbor that sucked for all of these characters. And some of the parts that didn't suck, but those were very few and far between, unfortunately. And with us is Andrew Gillis. Would you like to please introduce yourself to all of these lovely people? Uh, yeah, that's me. I'm Andrew Gillis. I'm a game designer and probably some other stuff, but in, in what matters here is that I am a game designer. I use they, them pronouns. And Girl by Moonlight is a game that I made and that these fine folks played. Mm-hmm, it is. And I'm very excited to talk more about it. Before I ask the very thoughtful 
methodical journalist-esque questions that I have written down <laughs> in this black book about the game. I would like to invite everybody else to please tell Andrew what you thought about the game as we were playing Fractal Spire. And perhaps we should start with Mike. I can go first. I've, I think I've talked about this in public before, but the uh, pick list world building elements on the play sheets is so cool. I had so much fun like working through that with everybody. I played a little bit of a game offline just with some friends using earlier playtest materials. And so I've had the chance to kind of work through lists from two mm. of the play sets. And it was so much fun to have just little bits of inspiration and aesthetic that you had put into each playset, both to orient and to inspire. And so I want to say thank you for that. It's very cool. And I want to encourage other designers to take a look at that and see if that's something that sparks anything in you. Yeah, it was really fun watching you all play your first session because you're all writers and were able to, like, I was watching you in real time, kind of see what the point of the various bits and pieces were, or like, oh, this is what this is doing. And like, and so you were all very adept at going through that process in a really fruitful way and had like really good conversations around it. But yeah, I, I there were a bunch of reasons for wanting to include something like that, you know, both the things that you mentioned and also this idea that like, if I play the game and then I go and talk to someone else who has played the game in the same playset, we can be like, oh, what was what were your choices there? What was your world like? And we kind of understand the the pieces that it was made out of, right? It's like the Lego bricks have been assembled in a different shape, but we still can recognize, oh, that's the big red brick, that's the yellow brick. And so it's neat to have like a point of common connection across games. And that that's something that you can see at work in games like Apocalypse World, where there are like specific NPC names or whatever, where it's like, oh yeah, what was Rolf Ball like in your Apocalypse World game? And you can kind of go and ask anyone that's played those kinds of questions and get really fun conversations out of them. And they kind of help build a, a shared cosmology of like characters and places and things, uh, which I really like as part of the like folk practice of role-playing. Yeah. I'm curious at what point did girl by moonlight become four games in one in terms of having the play sets? Yeah. It's, it's hard to stop once you get started with like, something that's like a hack, right? Like the the game was very much a, a hack of blades in terms of my process. I would say I would kind of fit it within that mold. And once I had all of the kind of ports exposed of, you know, where you can plug in the different things because of how blades is structured, there is this layer of material that you can kind of independently remove and then socket something else in. And so it didn't, it didn't take much massaging or changing to to kind of get to a place where I could say, okay, instead of a crew sheet, I have this this thing I'm calling the playset, and just expanding the scope of what that included because I needed to come up with a setting, and I didn't want to have a specific setting. And then once you have the tools for making the setting, given that it's the list picking structure, it's really easy to swap that out for something else. And then once you swap that out why not make you know a, a different little set of modular rules that plug into the base game so that you can have giant robots or weird dream traveling stuff and there were all these other kind of nearby touchstones to the original stuff that i was working with which was maruka primarily and then a little bit of like steven universe sailor moon because you know i was like okay well i gotta do that and then you know at that point you just you may as well make four if you're gonna make one and then two so why not four 
Yeah. <laughs> Valerie, I see you have thoughts. I do, and I'm trying to just kind of put them together into a cohesive uh, format here that is both question and comment without being weird. I really loved the way that the avatars worked in this game. I thought that it was really cool since we were playing the um, Maze of Dreams set. The, the notion of the avatars as both separate yet interconnected with the characters was very cool. The fact that they weren't just simple alter egos, because I feel like that is something that can occur in, in different games and in different media where you just have, you know, this is just kind of a reflection of this character. This is their self in, in some form or fashion. But this challenged us to make the avatars individual characters in and of themselves. And so uh, even though mine didn't really manifest ultimately until the very end, it was still like every time an avatar appeared, it was different from their character. And it meant that, you had not only the relationships between the characters themselves, but then the relationships between the untranscended and transcended selves in various permutations. And that was really cool to explore. When you were putting that together, uh, you had touchstones for that that you know are in there. But what kinds of stuff were you thinking about, I guess, just in, in setting up that uh, element of the, of the game? Yeah, so in the two playsets that kind of make use of this similar little... I don't know what you would call it, like mode that I came up with because there's in a maze of dreams where you have this like dream self. And then there's also uh on a sea of stars where you have a, a giant sentient like engine robot thing that you pilot. And so I did sea of stars first and there was this desire to have the, the engines not just be machines, but to have personalities and, and so it was more like the analogy that I kind of developed in my head was like, it's not like you're driving a car. It's like you're riding a horse and you can tell a horse to jump off a cliff, but it's not going to do it right. Like the, they're going to know danger when they see it and they're going to have their own kind of instincts and personality and self-preservation and all these other competing things. And you need to, you know, develop a relationship to and build trust with that, you know, creature in order to then have them do the courtesy of, running around for you. And so when it came time to get to Maze of Dreams, I liked those elements and I wanted to figure out a way that I could make them a little more fraught and a little bit more oppositional, but also it was a great opportunity to bring in some some tension around people's own identities and these like versions of themselves that they might become but that they are kind of intimidated by or at odds with in some way. Like the you know, there's a really almost heavy handed, I would say kind of trans metaphor in there and in the like one shot that I'm writing for that playset, the main character is an unlikely hero. Who's, you know, hinted possible alter se other self is a woman and they're not, you know, they haven't gotten that far yet. And they're in fact really uncomfortable with anything that, you know, feminine or whatever, right? Like there, there's a, a tension between who that, where they are now and who they might be in a way that is like a threat and, that was to me really fun, but I think in the course of play, it does make, it does mean that maze of dreams is kind of like the most advanced. If I had to like group them in terms of like, here's the ones that are better for beginners. And here's the, like the advanced course maze of dreams definitely asks a lot of the protagonists in terms of taking an interest in really either more difficult topics or complicated, you know, internal character struggles and stuff like that, that need to be, 
shown in a more kind of explicit or performed way that they might take on. But also they have to give up a lot of stuff to the director who can then at any time be like, yeah, your avatar wants to do this thing. What are you going to do about that? Right? Like there's this, there's an antagonist that is always inside of you, always kind of present waiting for you, waiting to have like an opportunity to do something. And, and to that end also, that's why they all have, why all the desires for avatars are like totally fucked up. Like they just want these things that are too big. They're like kind of impossible to reconcile with anything else. They're very absolute and weird. And, and that was really, I think, important to create that feeling of like, you know, like if you are an, an, un, a crack, an uncracked egg, the idea of, you know, being a man or a woman or whatever might feel impossible to you and overwhelming and like big in ways that you aren't ready to deal with. And so it's, it's fun to have that be that, yeah, your avatar wants to like become a God <laughs> or whatever, right? Like this, this really absurd and, and larger than life thing. Hmm. I'm trying to think how to phrase this, but it's really interesting to me that you chose magical girls as a venue in which to explore gender and queerness because living in Japan, I am so used to magical girls actually being used as a tool to uphold gender stereotypes and rules. Could you talk a little bit more about your motivation in that? Yeah, I mean, there's definitely that thing, right, of like, Sailor Moon got turned into a thing to sell toys for girls, and it was because they didn't have good vehicles for doing that at the time that it was coming out, that it kind of got leveraged in this way, and that really it does have this kind of like... 80s and 90s early feminist girl boss kind of mode about like yeah you're gonna want to like wear skirts and put on lipstick but in a in a way that is good now instead of a way that is disempowering or whatever right like it's on its face it's a little bit limited you know in that sense but that's not my relationship to it as a you know as a person writing this game for me this was about like what was little kid Andrew who would watch Sailor Moon and be like, Oh, I'm really like, this show is cool and fun and I'm interested in it. And then it's like, Hmm, what does that mean? <laughs> and so it's about a certain kind of relationship to that genre or those pieces of media and the ways in which those were like formative or, you know, did, did things to my little child brain um, or in my little child brain that were, you know, productive in that way, even as the thing itself might not contain all of that on its own. Right. Cause yeah, there is a very interesting history with the, the development of the genre and where, you know, like for its time, even you could say that it was breaking through certain bounds, but then it, of course, once it, it can get incorporated into this larger machine of, you know, cultural production that pushes you know, it gets, it gets incorporated into the status quo in ways that are not very helpful or, or transgressive, even if at one point it was cool and a little bit pushy to say like, oh yeah, here is like a young woman fighting monsters, you know, fighting evil by moonlight and winning love by daylight. Look at her go. Isn't that cool? And, and totally unprecedented with the exception of like the show that she did before that, which was like some weird medieval fantasy thing. I can't quite remember all the details of it, but there's like a princess who becomes like a little legend of Zelda link to the past kind of looking guy to, to fight an evil vizier or something. And that was the thing that got us to the point where we could even have sailor moon at all. And yeah, 
so yeah, it's it's definitely about like my relationship to a bunch of stuff, and it's very personal in that sense. That's super cool. It is. I could go on uh, for ages about how the magical girl as a genre concept is actually built to be transgressive of gender, but that would take longer than we have time, so I'm not going to do that. Yoi, do you have any questions to ask? Yes, I am actually curious about the methodology or the timeline, I guess, that came with building all of the playbooks or play sheets as a whole, because when I was reading the document, it was very clear that, you know, this is very much meant as a team game. The players are very much meant to play off of each other and with each other. And even in the ways where their playbooks oppose each other, it's done very deliberately mechanically. So doing that even for one particular play series is a pretty heavy task, but then you have four different series and you have the mechanic of Eclipse toss in there and reading through the various Eclipse prompts and the Eclipse escape clauses and how those kind of changed over development. It's very clear, okay, even when every character is at their worst possible point, every other character still has some means of getting them out of it even just mechanically speaking. So because it's such an intricately interlocked system, I'm kind of curious as to what happened first, slash, were there any points where you were just going, oh my god, there are too many moving gears. What do I do? I am being mangled. <laughs> I mean, one of the things that helps it all be a bit more approachable is that, you know, when when you're designing, you kind of, you can be working in the exploded diagram kind of scenario where all these things that are going to one day be packed in together and interlock, you can have them, you know, laid out on your little handkerchief with all the, you know, every bearing and, and cog and everything separated. And it's a bit more, it's a bit more comfortable uh, in that sense. You know, I can work on each thing in a, in a, as a little module, but the one big guiding principle with all of that stuff around, like how downtime works and the reason that, you know, recovery works the way it does. The reason that all the Eclipse escape prompts involve another character, everything was always building towards um, this idea of like interdependence and mutual support within the group of protagonists. The theme music for Speculate is Yellow Wood by Greg's band, The Road. Find out more at www.thebandtheroad.com.
Hi everyone. If you've enjoyed what we've been doing here on Speculate and you've been thinking to yourself, where can I get more role-playing in my life? Can I recommend arvaneleron.com, A-R-V-A-N-E-L-E-R-O-N.com, where you can check out the Curse of Strahd podcast. This, set in the world of Ravenloft, is a Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition campaign, which has been running for a long time with a similar group of players, and which has been both a lot of fun and I think you will find enjoyable. If you like it, please let us know both there and over here. You can subscribe to it on iTunes, Google Play Podcasts, and many other fine podcast providers. Thanks, and we'll see you over there.